It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. As we welcome you along to the programme with that gorgeous, gorgeous weather forecast for today and looking ahead for the rest of the week, it really is looking like this little bit of sunshine is back with us. So let's try and enjoy it. I mean, temperatures today could go to 25. Tomorrow it could go to 26 and there's even speculation that Thursday could go to 27 degrees uh, Celsius. It's great to get that little bit of sunshine. Get out and enjoy it as much as you can because we know what this country is like. It's not going to last for very long. But if you are going out and about please be extremely careful if you're heading to any of our beautiful beaches we'll be talking about our beaches actually in a little while on the programme and particularly for people to be alerted to the fact that the Portuguese man of war has been spotted on some of the beaches not some of the beaches in uh, here in Cork so you need to be careful of that but you also need to be careful if you are going out swimming and your family are going out swimming you know, for the kiddies keep those inflatables keep them well away from the water do not allow children out on inflatables and even for very strong swimmers you need to be so careful and actually this incredible story making all of the papers today and it's coming from Phoenix RNLI and how they managed to save a man who they believe had been in the water for about 12 hours he was swimming he, the, the intention was he was swimming out to a rock uh, nine kilometres away so he was obviously a strong swimmer Castle Gregory Beach was where he, he headed out uh, from 12 hours later he was found wearing only swimming trunks so he didn't even have a wetsuit on him so obviously his body temperature was way down uh, because of that but one thing that the rescuers at the Phoenix Aaron alive when the lifeboat went out to rescue this man one thing they noticed was that there was a, a pod of dolphins almost swimming around you know not not actually going over or doing anything to the man in the water but they were swimming around him whether they were trying to protect him or what they don't know but the rescuers say that they had they'd never seen uh, anything like it before um, and we all know about the intelligence of uh, dolphins but the man anyway thankfully was res- rescued but the fact that he was only wearing swimming trunks in the water for 12 hours and he didn't have a, a wetsuit on obviously he was a very good swimmer the fact that he was two and a half miles away from the beach at that stage but he's body temperature dropped uh, so low the medics were amazed by uh, him he went into the water at 8am yesterday morning and they rescued him at 8.15 yesterday uh, evening so incredible to think he was over 12 hours in the water so well done to everybody involved at Phoenix are in a lie on what was a happy ending story 
But again, a cautionary tale, just be careful. No matter how strong a swimmer you are, you can very quickly get into difficulty. But it'll be amazing when he, when he makes his full recovery, no doubt. That gentleman will start to talk. I'll be really interested to hear how, how long had those dolphins been around and how close did they get to him? And did it look like the dolphins were almost in some way trying to uh, help him? 1850 John Paul's taking your calls. Anything you want to share with us today, you can text her WhatsApp as well to 0862 103 103. And actually, this text arrived in just at the close of the programme yesterday. So I said I'd hold it over for today uh, because it's a listener looking for advice about barking dogs. And this, I know, is something that other families possibly are facing at the moment or possibly have faced in the past. But this listener is looking for advice on anything that this listener can do. He says, hi, Patricia, I live in a council estate in a North Cork town and that's as much information as we're giving out. Myself and my family are putting up what we can only describe as very anti-social neighbours. Their dogs constantly bark. It's now getting so bad we can't leave our windows or doors open even during very warm weather like we're experiencing this week because these dogs are barking non-stop. Now we have asked the council for help but they have done nothing for us so far. It's been going on now for all of last year and all of this year. It started in January of 2020. Is there anything else I can do? Can your listeners suggest any way out of this? Is there any solution to this a problem? Now, firstly, the the fact that I know whenever we have dog experts on or even Jane, our vet, will, t- will tell you dogs that are incessantly barking are not happy dogs. Dogs don't, happy, content dogs don't continuously bark all day. So you'd have to think there's something going on with the dogs as well, but that's of no use to this poor family who are living next door to that barking dogs. I mean, I'm even thinking that the people that are in the house these antisocial neighbours, that's how you describe them, are they just oblivious to the fact that their dogs are barking all day? Because, I mean, obviously, if the neighbours are hearing the dogs barking all day, others in the neighbourhood must be hearing it. And unless the dogs have been left alone all day, maybe that's what's going on while they're heading out to to work and they're gone all day. And that's why the dogs are, are barking anyway. Uh, and the fact that there's antisocial behaviour going on, I'm assuming, you know, the first thing you would say is, have you had a chat with the neighbours? But the fact that they've been described as antisocial neighbours, uh, obviously, there's no way of trying to get through to these people to explain the torment that this family is living in with dogs barking uh, constantly. Again, the listener has gone down the route of contacting the council. I'm surprised that the council hasn't got uh, involved because that if dogs are barking all day, I mean, that's a noise uh, issue. The only thing I would suggest, maybe have you recorded the dogs barking? I mean, we all have recording devices now on our phones to maybe let the council know just how bad it actually is, has gotten and is uh, getting. But anyway, we'll give it out to see if anybody else has put up with a similar situation and a solution is what this listener is most looking for. How do you get through to neighbours who don't seem to obviously care about their dogs if they're leaving them bark all day? Your thoughts welcomed on that please. 1850 And actually this time yesterday morning we had a number of calls and texts in from listeners, some listeners in the city or listeners who had headed to the city for work early yesterday morning and they were reporting to us the condition of our city streets following the All-Ireland Senior Hurling Final on Sunday and people were just shocked at the amount of litter that had been left behind on our wonderful city streets 
don't know what it was like in any of our county towns because I didn't get calls in about the county towns. So I'm assuming people cleaned up after themselves. But the city, well, I suppose, where the bigger crowds had congregated, some of the photographs, it was truly, truly shocking. Well, the front page of the Echo today are picking up on that story on a piece written by Roisin Burke, who says the worst street littering in 20 years is how the Cork City Council described what the city streets looked like yesterday morning. Extra resources were were needed yesterday by the city's street cleaning department in order to get the streets back to some kind of an acceptable level. The street cleansing department and their cleansing crew worked tirelessly for four hours to return the streets to normality. Now they say that the worst areas and these certainly... I would have agreed with because this is where we were getting the photographs in for where it was on the Grand Parade, Oliver Plunkett Street and on Washington Street. Now, according to the council, the street cleansing crews, 6am yesterday morning, so they were trying to get out, get the streets cleaned up before most people would have been out and about on the streets. So it was only the early people going to and from work early who spotted how bad the streets were. So they were out at 6am. They didn't finish work until 10am. They ended up, the council had to bring in the extra large suction sweeper due to the volume of litter that had to be removed. The cleansing crew staff highlighted the volume of litter and broken glass seen on the city streets. They said the staff reckon they hadn't seen anything like it in the past 20 years. And I know the Green Party councillor, Dan Boyle, he was retweeting some of the pictures that people had taken yesterday morning. And he said, this is horrible to see. He said a huge lack of cop on from uh, people and then Dan Boyle was contacted by the Echo and he said well the council had put in extra litter bins because straight away I know people would say well sure that's the council's fault they knew there was going to be crowds congregating in the city why didn't they put in the extra bins seemingly according to Dan Boyle they did have extra bins in he says the bigger problem is the culture that currently exists and we seem to not the minority, I would hate to think it's the majority, but there seems to be a culture, sure, it's all right to litter. Sure, isn't there somebody there to clean it up? Well, the council will be out in the morning. Sure, isn't that fine? And some people, Dan Boyle, seem to think it's OK to litter and he said it's simply not. The All-Ireland Final does not excuse this behaviour. He said this is inbuilt. He said it's learned behaviour. It needs to be challenged and it needs to be changed. And the English market trader, the well-known fishmonger, Pat O'Connell, he was also tweeting pictures of the rubbish along the Grand Parade and he expressed his disgust at the level of the mess that was left behind and he says shame on whoever left this mess for our council workers to clean up this morning Yeah, and I have to agree the the council workers' jobs are tough enough without having to needlessly go out and clean up after people. It, It truly is shocking. But, you know, is Dan Boyle right? Is it almost in some people's psyche? Ah, it's OK to clean. It's OK to litter. Don't worry about it. The bin is full. Sure, leave it on the floor there. Some, somebody else will clean it up. Because we're going to sort of be on that subject in a couple of minutes as well on the programme because we're going to talk about the ongoing issue with dog fouling. And it's one of those topics that always gets people really annoyed when we mention it here. And everyone will have a story uh, to tell about dog fouling in their, uh, in their area. I mean, even only... I can share my own story even only the other day right outside on my footpath just as I walk out the driveway of of my house there was dog poo just left there now 
you know, I, I, we don't have random dogs wandering around our neighbourhood. So I'm assuming that somebody had a dog on a lead, took a dog for a walk, because there's many, many dog owners who, you know, I see in the neighbourhood, the majority of them I see cleaning up after their dogs. But somebody had allowed their dog right in the middle of the footpath, right outside my house to do their business and then just walk away. You know, bearing in mind that I have a a visually impaired child who might have to walk out on that footpath. And I'm not saying the dog owner would have known that at the time, but it just absolutely infuriated me that I had to then go back in, get some plastic gloves, plastic bag and clean up somebody else's dog filth. It is so, so annoying. And in a couple of minutes, we're going to be speaking with Galway Council, who've come up with, a, I think it's a rather creative and a novel way to try to end the scourge of dog fouling. And is it something we could introduce here? Another listener has a similar uh, problem in the estate where she lives with dogs uh, barking. This listener said, I also live in an estate, but unlike your other texture to the programme, the problem with barking dogs is not just by day. We've got dogs barking all night. The barking seems to be going on all the time. And you know by the sound of the bark that these are big dogs, bulldogs, German shepherd dogs. Uh, because of it at night, I don't sleep. I'm now in a situation where I'm trying to nap during the day. Isn't that just incredible that it's that bad? And just on um, dogs, Mary and Blarney was on uh, to say, Trish, where could I get a pet dog at a reasonable price? My little Jack Russell died last my, last month and I miss his company and it's dreadful to, lo- to lose a much loved uh, dog. Uh, and that's from Mary in the Blarney area. Anybody know of a reasonably priced Jack Russells? I know if you're to go for a purebred Jack Russell, it'll cost you a fortune. What I would suggest, Mary, uh, have you tried any of the dog rescues? You'd be surprised. You go at a dog rescue, you may actually get uh, a Jack Russell or a small little similar type of dog. So I'd suggest getting on to one of the animal rescues. We're always trying to promote people to rehome uh, dogs and they have dogs of all ages, all shapes, all uh, sizes. Uh, good luck with it and I hope you do manage to get uh, a little forever pet for you. But my sympathies to you on the loss of your dog because it is like losing a family member. Yesterday we were talking about weddings and we had some listeners who were concerned because they're, go- they're going to, well one listener was going to a wedding where they discovered the priest was is next week, the priest is unvaccinated that's causing huge concern among some of the people attending the wedding. And then another listener was really taken aback going to a wedding at the weekend of a hundred people and they thought that they would have to bring their COVID passes and that everybody would have to be vaccinated and if they weren't vaccinated they thought everybody attending a wedding would have to have a negative PCR test only to discover that if you're attending a wedding none of those restrictions are in place. Nobody's asked for a COVID uh, pass and you don't have to prove if you are COVID negative or God forbid that you'd be COVID positive, you wouldn't be attending uh, the wedding. Well, that's prompted a West Cork listener to say, as even vaccinated people can catch COVID statistically with, with seriously lesser consequences than the unvaxxed, therefore they can still be carriers. I don't see why vaccinated people should in any way be more concerned about who is present when they're at a wedding or if they go into a restaurant or into a gastropub as long as everybody is spaced well and ventilation is observed. There's other ways basically of protecting yourself. But I think the problem, thank you for that uh, to the listener in West Cork for that email. I think the problem uh, was the fact that it's going to be 100 people in a room for a wedding for a longer period of time. I mean if you're going in for a meal what will you be an hour and a half two hours at the most and in fairness to them certainly any restaurants that I've done indoor dining in they've got 
not all the tables well spaced but at a wedding of 100 people I'm assuming 10 tables 10 at each each table will people be out dancing you're in much more close proximity for a longer period of time and I think that's where the concerns were coming from some of our listeners who are going to weddings yesterday. 1850 John Paul is taking your call. You can text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. A creative project from Galway City Council, which involves spray painting warnings around dog poo, has seen fouling reduced by over 50%. And the local authority now have plans to expand what was initially a trial to see what we can learn from this project. I'm joined by Fianna Fáil, Galway City Councillor, and that's Alan Cheevers. Good morning to you, Alan. Good morning, Patricia. You're very welcome uh, to the programme. Where did the initial idea for this spray painting project come from? Well, it initially came from a project that was done in Ballantubber County, Roscommon. And uh, I suppose Galway City Council looked closely at that project. And Tierney McCluskey, who's in our environment section of Galway City Council, decided that we would look at replicating the project project, sorry, in the early in the summer. And uh, so we basically did it over a six-week period in three different areas within the city of the trial. And over the period, we found that there was a 55% reduction in dog fouling in these areas. Um, and basically, that was the, the findings over the six-week period. Brilliant. Brilliant. I mean, that's a, that's an incredible success rate. I suppose, explain to listeners, it's it's a spray paint stencil, is it? Yeah, it's spray paint stencil. It's um, basically, the name of the initiative is Clean It Up Your Dirty Poop. And basically, these was highly visible fluorescent paint that was pub, put in public footpaths and areas um, just to highlight the, the, the dog fouling and that that it basically is something that we're trying to eradicate in in the areas and within the city. And basically, the the public also had to buy into this. So we had to get volunteers from the different areas. And what they would do is they would highlight any poop within the public footpaths or areas. They would highlight with pink paint. And how they did was they started off from, from the very start. They actually highlighted the poop from day one. And then over a period of six weeks, they were able to go back once a week and then to see how it reduced or if it increased. But, it, but fortunately, in the areas that we trialled, we found that there was over a 55% reduction in them areas. And does the pink paint eventually get washed away? No, I think it's very durable. It's very Why durable. It? Yeah, very, very durable. And basically, uh, it's a chalk-based paint. And... Uh, as I say, it was well researched. I think this whole scheme cost Garbage City Council roughly about twenty thousand. Uh, basically, it probably sounds a lot of money, but between signage, between paint, um, you know, and then obviously advertising it on the radio, advertising on the local media. Um, I think that it was probably well, money well spent. I think so as well. Yeah, I, 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 we I think I, I think so as well. And I'm assuming you didn't have any problems getting volunteers to buy into it, like local tidy towns groups. And we're always singing the praises of tidy towns groups here on on the program. I mean, I'm assuming they will buy into something like this. 
Absolutely, Patricia. And it was very much um, well supported by the three areas that we trialled. And because of this now, we um, were replicating this around other areas within the city. And I just got some figures from Tiernan there in Galway City Council in the last hour before I came on air. And he told me that in one of the areas in Sawtill, there's been a 63% reduction over the last number of weeks. And in Chantella and other areas of the city, there's an 87% reduction. So it's actually shown that this actually works. And I think what we, I suppose, what we can learn from this, I suppose, Cork County Council and Cork City Council, as well as other uh, local authorities around the country, can probably learn from this trial and possibly replicate this right across the country in towns, villages and cities. Because like us here in Cork, I mean, I'm assuming you have a big problem with owners simply not being responsible and cleaning up after their dogs. Yes, absolutely. I mean, it's a huge issue for Galway City Council um, up to the start of this project. I mean, I suppose the other side of it is the health and safety side of it, especially if, I suppose, if young kids are playing in areas and, I suppose, get hold of dog fowl because, you know, it has been proven that there's serious health implications if somebody was to intake dog fowl. So I think the situation is certainly was a bit of an issue. Well, actually, it wasn't a bit of a serious issue within Galway City and County over the last number of years. But I hope now that initiatives like this uh, can work and some way eradicate the problem and hopefully we can see it as uh, a replication right across the country as well. By the way, in Galway, did you notice the problem got worse during COVID? Well, I suppose, I suppose a lot of people, as they say, adopted a dog over the COVID yeah, period. Yeah. You know, and I suppose because of that, a lot of people were out walking dogs on a regular basis. Obviously, they're getting there within their two kilometre zone or whatever at the time. And I suppose that um, that certainly would have increased the dog fouling uh, situation within communities and public areas, certainly over the pandemic. But as I say, um, Galway City Council have taken action now to work with the community. And it's very important as well, I would emphasise to your listeners, that the community buy into this with the local authorities. They must work together uh, to make this happen. And that's really why this has been so successful is the fact that the community and the volunteers bought in with the local authority um, to to make this happen. Yeah, and here's here's a, here's a text in just showing that the, the nuisance and the health implications of dog fouling. Hi, Patricia, listening to your piece on dog fouling. I live in North Cork and I had a friend who is wheelchair bound. Last week I was helping him out. I was pushing his wheelchair from a supermarket. We were going to the local post office, which is quite close to the supermarket. He had his hands on the wheels of the wheelchair helping to push I didn't see a new pile of dog poo and, of course, it ended up all over his hands. Luckily, there was a pharmacy nearby and the employee saw what was going on, came to the rescue and came out to help clean his hands and the wheel of the chair. So it was a good outcome. But I must say the smell and the health implications are simply not nice. Why can't the guards have CCTV and catch these dog owners and prosecute them? It doesn't take much to clean up after your own dog or does it? Uh, Thanking you. I mean, that's just a horrible situation for somebody in a wheelchair to have to put up with that. And you hear about with families with young children with buggies and then they ended up bringing it into their homes. I mean, it's a huge, huge problem, Alan. Yeah, it certainly, certainly is a huge problem. And I'd say it's something that we felt as a local authority in Galway City that we had to deal with. And we had numerous representations as a local councillor myself 
from um, residents and community members, as well as my colleagues in Galway City Council. And I think, to be fair to Tierney McCluskey, who, who's heading this project in Galway City, um, they have taken action, they've put the money into this project, and it's certainly has shown the results. And I would encourage the environmental section in Galway City, and sorry, Cork City and Cork County Council, to, to, I suppose, to tie in with Tierney and the environmental section in Galway City Council and to see what they've done and hopefully they can replicate it within the Cork area. Yeah. I think that it will be really something important. And as I say, it might sound like a lot of money, 20000 but on the scheme of things, when you take in the amount of work that local authorities have to spend to clean up the mess, I think really on a long-term basis, it certainly wouldn't be a huge amount of money. I think it'll be money well spent. Well done yeah. uh, to everybody involved and continue good luck with the project, Alan. And thank you for taking time out to talk to us today. Thank you, Virginia. Good morning to you. That is Councillor Alan Cheevers, who is a Fianna Fáil councillor in Galway City Council on what sounds like uh, is a very creative project, but it is working. You'll have stencils and pink paint all over the footpath, but if it keeps the dog poo away, bring it on. 1850 333 103. John Paul takes your calls. Text WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Cork today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. Now lifeguards at Garrettstown Beach have raised a red flag this week after the sighting of a Portuguese man of war jellyfish. There was also a reported sighting of the sea creature at Ona Hincha Beach on Saturday evening. Joining me with words of advice, John Leach of uh, the <laughs> Irish Water Safety. Good morning to you, John. Good morning, Patricia, uh, and thank you very much for having me well, here with your listeners again. Well, always a pleasure to have you on. Uh, why do we need to be so concerned about this Portuguese man of war? Uh, unfortunately, the Portuguese man of war, uh, I mean, is, he sings very, very hard, so we think. He's got a very, very strong thing for everybody. But also, uh, unfortunately, some people can get anaphylactic shock from the sting of it. And what makes it uh, sort of difficult is that it's got very, very long tentacles. Uh, now, now, strictly speaking, it's not a, a jellyfish, by the way. It's a siphonophore, but that's only just technical stuff, really. But Because it, it actually floats on the ocean, and it sails along, and it looks like a Portuguese man-of-war. That's, uh, that's what people always felt. Uh, it looks like the helmet of a Portuguese man-of-war. If you ever saw those helmets in those yeah. movies, yeah. it, it, it sort of looks like that. sails along the surface, and as tentacles go down, uh, you know, for quite a long distance, maybe up to 10 metres or so, uh, and so when they go ashore then, and if they're going ashore, then the tentacles, of course, are spread out. And you don't always see them. And so unfortunately, I mean, the unwary, you know, children or adults walking along can get stung on, on your feet. Uh, and that's the, and also because they can survive for quite a few days after they've been washed up on the shore, the sting is still there. So although you might think the jellyfish is dead, its sting isn't. So, so keep what, keep very, very well... Careful. Keep well away uh, yeah. if, if you perceive it uh, to, to to be dead. And the sting is meant to be unbelievably painful. Oh, yes, it's very, very painful. I've never, thankfully, I've never succumbed to one and I haven't succumbed to a lion's mane jellyfish either. Uh, but I, I mean, all, any experiences that I've heard of, uh, very, very painful. And you might recollect some years ago, there was a teenager had to be taken away from Barley Cove, I think it was. Yeah. Um, uh, because she got an anaphylactic shock and had to go to A and E. So, really, in terms of the first aid, uh, if you do get stung by them, uh, well, then make sure that if you're going to administer first aid, don't get stung yourself because you can so easily. 
So remove any of the attached tentacles to the part of the body, wherever it is on. You know, if you have a gloved hand, fine. If you don't, then use a, like a stick or a plastic card or something like that to, to just take the, the, the tentacles off the skin. But don't rub it uh, and rinse the affected area in seawater. Uh, don't use fresh water. Don't use vinegar, alcohol or urine, as some mm. people have, have, have mentioned. Um, but uh, essentially then, you know, if, if it, it's going to be discomfort and you can give them, use mild painkillers, uh, but if there's, uh, if it's more than that discomfort and uh, painful stinging uh, and you're not feeling well, you're getting a swelling uh, around the neck or around the, you know, around that area of your face or your head, your face starts swelling up or indeed if your heart rate goes up and you get pains in your chest, then you must get that person straight seek, away into seek, seek medical that, attention. That, that's really the crucial one about the Portuguese man And John, are they uncommon species in our waters? Well, you know, ten years ago I would have said yes, but now I don't say yes. No, they're becoming very. They seem to with the global warming, uh, what's going on. We seem to see more and more of them every year, and in fact, we're also seeing more and more um, uh, lion's mane jellyfish as well. All jellyfish, in fact. Uh, but these, these um, Portuguese men of war, when we get the south, you know, the southwesterly breezes coming from the tropics from the south, then they just sail up here, you know, with the wind. And we seem to see more and more of them every year. There's no question about it. I mean, there was, uh, and there were up in, there was huge numbers of them up in uh, Mayo, uh, I think it was three years ago. Where, I mean, they'd never been sighted before. And there were dozens of them washed up on the beach. So they can come in in large numbers as well. Before, we used to be the occasional one and we'd all be talking about it. But now, sure, my God, there it is. I'm, I'm sure there are several thousand of them around our coastline at the moment, unfortunately. And are our and lifeguards... up onto our uh, beaches, yeah. Do, do you train our lifeguards to look out for them and, and to know to alert people to them? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. And, and it's a part of their training and they're, they're, they're very good at it. Um, they, I mean, they really are. Uh, they will put up the red flag if they believe there's too many of them. If there's only one... Very often they will might go out on the board and they'll hover around the board until the tide takes us back out to sea. Uh, or then if it does come ashore, what we have to do is then they report it to the local authority. The local authority will come down and it'll dig a hole essentially in the beach and put it into the, into the hole uh, with all its tentacles. Uh, and that's really as much as we can do. Okay. But with, with the Portuguese Man of War, what I do want to say to you when you were saying, um, uh, you know, what, what do you do in terms of, of the sting? You do have to use hot water. I would say about 40 degrees or 45 degrees. As hot as somebody can, um, say, if, if they get strung on, their, on the heel of their foot or whatever, or in their instep, to put it into a bucket or a basin of water for approximately 20 minutes to try and uh, clean out the, um, the, 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 the venom, the poison. Uh, and that, that very tends to be very, very effective if it's done pretty soon, as soon as you get this thing. So if you're on lifeguard beach, go straight to the lifeguard station and they will do that for you. Uh, okay. So that's a very important one with the Portuguese Man of War. It's the only one where you use hot water to actually just to um, uh, to, to essentially draw out the, the, the poison and the venom from the foot. Okay, so, but listen yeah. and take and heed all of the advice from our wonderful lifeguards who I imagine, John, are going to be quite busy this week because we've got this wonderful weather uh, forecast and that means people are going to flock to uh, the beaches. Um, as always, go to beaches where lifeguards are on duty. Uh, well done, Patricia. That really is a message we need to get out to your listeners. Uh, avoid going to other beaches unless you're a, 
a seasonal swimmer, you know, if you're swimming virtually most months of the year, go if you're just a casual swimmer, bringing your family to the beach for a lovely day because the weather is absolutely magnificent at the moment. And we want people to get out there and swim in open water because that's where the course where the drownings occur. Very, very rare is it to have a drowning in a swimming pool. So we, lo- we love when people swim in open water because it means that they gain their own water safety confidence. And, and, and their ability to cope when they w- would accidentally fall in at a later date. Because if you're swimming regularly, you do fall in, you respond much, much uh, more positively uh, without panic. Uh, to, to, you know, you'll just fall in, float for a second, get your bearings and then swim back ashore. Because cold shock is the, is the largest contributing factor to drownings, you know, in our temperate climate. So it's great. We love to see people get into cold water because it means their bodies, they'll be able to cope when mm. they ever fall in accidentally yeah, and a much better chance of survival Yeah and proof of that I think coming from that story out of Phoenix Aaron Alai of that man now he's a very strong swimmer but he's, he, he still got into difficulty 12 hours in the water before he was rescued Absolutely incredible absolutely incredible and well done to the Aaron Alai and the, the Coast Guard um, you know the helicopter, uh, you know, it was rescue 116, I think it was. Yeah. Uh, but it was a fantastic uh, rescue. Just, we love to hear these stories because, as you know, in the last heat wave, we had enough, we had too many fatalities. We had nine fatalities in seven days, which oh was the worst God. we've had since 2013. So we're, we are anxious as we approach the bank holiday weekend. We want your listeners to swim with the lifeguards and waterways when you're going out on boats that ever always wear a life jacket. Uh, always wear a life jacket when you're on or near the water. And then those, those, and, and have a means of communication so you can call the Coast Guard if you see somebody getting into trouble. Always call early. Coast Guard, will, they like to be called early because then you much got a much better chance then of a positive outcome from a situation, you know, of somebody in distress. And, and just one other thing with Stephen John Paul, yeah. we were talking about this in the office yesterday, you know, with this gorgeous weather that we have at the moment and people headed to the beaches or, or to the wa- waterways. And we were chatting about the fact that people are heading out after work. You need to be mindful. We're, we're losing daylight pretty quickly these evenings. That's a fair point. I think it's about quarter past eight or so. It depends where exactly you are in the country, but something like that, uh, you, you have sunset. And so you only have a little bit of light then after that before you get into evening civil twilight. So yes, you're right. Uh, I mean, if, if you're if you want to be out there at seven for you know a swim for half an hour or so, uh, twenty minutes, whatever, depending on, on how strong a swimmer you are. But you're absolutely right. We don't we don't want people getting caught out in, in the dark because then you can get disoriented. You know, you can lose your bearings very very easily because uh, you're so low in the water. It can be very difficult to see uh, where the beach is if it's a flat beach, particularly. You'd be quite surprised uh, how how give how people get disoriented okay, so in the water. So always swim parallel to the shore, uh, swim within your depth, stay within your depth. Really, is, the, is a crucial one just for for swimmers. Because then, if you ever get in trouble, just let your legs down, uh, wade back ashore. If you are going to go out to your depth, then we really recommend people use the tow floats. The tow floats are brilliant. Uh, if you, and the same thing, if you're then if you feel unwell, you get cramp, you feel sick, or you feel unwell. Dizzy, just hold on to your toe float until it passes and then you can swim back ashore again. Or if you're with other people, you can hold on to your float and they'll pull you back in. So they're, they're brilliant and they're very inexpensive. And we recommend uh, swimmers who, regular swimmers particularly, use toe floats the whole time. And they've saved so many lives. They, they have, they really absolutely. Have. Yeah, okay. they're brilliant. John, pleasure as always. Thank you for that and thanks for joining us. 
Thank you very much. Good morning to you. That is uh, John Leach of Irish Water Safety. On the way in the next hour, uh, we're going to hear uh, a, a call for clarity for pregnant teachers. These are unvaccinated pregnant teachers who have been asked to return to the workplace and it is causing concern for this group of teachers who are pregnant and because of the time frame in which they're pregnant, they haven't been able to get uh, vaccinated. We'll discuss that and more uh, all afternoons at 11 o'clock. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Refresh your career and apply now for a three-year QQI-credited part-time honours degree in law from Griffith College Cork. Preparing you for a future to work as a solicitor or a barrister. Visit griffith.ie. On FM, online, and on your phone. This is C103 News. It's 11 o'clock. Good morning. I'm Barry O'Mahony. The Minister for Foreign Affairs, Simon Coveney, said he totally understands the frustration of the live events industry in the wake of the All-Ireland hurling final scenes at the weekend. Performers have criticised what they described as preferential treatment for the GAA after thousands were seen attending the match at Croke Park on Sunday with little evidence of mask wearing and social distancing in place. Minister Coveney says the entertainment sector will get the guidance it needs on reopening over the coming days. I totally understand the frustration here. Um, uh, The government is trying to make decisions uh, on the basis of uh, public health uh, advice um, and on the basis of working with sectors. Catherine Martin will be meeting the sector again, I think, today, uh, and the government will be making decisions towards the end of this week. So we'll give the sector the certainty that they're asking for within days. The number of people in ICU with COVID is at its highest level in more than four months. 60 people are receiving treatment in hospital around the country. Half of them are under the age of 55. The chief medical officer has said 32 people were admitted to intensive care in the past week alone. There were 304 people in public hospitals with COVID last night after 1,592 new cases were reported. Former head of the Intensive Care Society, Catherine Motherway, says admissions to ICU are expected to increase for a number of weeks. We have another maybe two or three weeks in it, we think. So unfortunately, I think we'll see more people. And one of the difficulties with COVID and ICU patients is they stay longer than our normal critically ill patient. They have a length of stay that's about twice as long. So as people get sick and come into us, they stay with us quite a long time as we try and improve them. So the numbers do go up. Army rangers and officials from the Department of Foreign Affairs are due to arrive in Kabul this evening to help with the evacuation of Irish citizens. 36 people who have Irish passports or visas are waiting to be taken out of Afghanistan after the Taliban's takeover. Meetings will take place between global leaders later to discuss whether to seek an extension to the August 31st evacuation deadline. Meanwhile, a group of less than 10 Afghan refugees arrived in Dublin last night. They're among the first the government's agreed to accept under the International Refugee Protection Programme. Nick Henderson of the Irish Refugee Council says it's a momentous occasion. They were people who were working in Afghanistan, possibly with European Union institutions or certainly associated with Western institutions or uh, working with NGOs or human rights activists. They've left Afghanistan probably in the last day or couple of days and they're here beginning their new life in Ireland. 
Approval has been granted for refurbishment works at St Anne's Primary School in Charleville. Works will include the conversion of existing rooms into new classrooms and a special education teacher room. The Cork North West TD, Michael Moynihan, said the new facilities will be of great benefit to staff and pupils in the school in the years to come. Deputy Moynihan paid tribute to management and staff at St Anne's Primary School in advancing the project and for their ongoing hard work and dedication to the school and the community in Charleville. The latest sport with Firebird Heating Solutions. If you're building, think of the Firebird Air Source Heat Pump with underfloor heating and heat recovery. See firebird.ie. Well, Angelic Games, Brian Lowen set to continue as the Clare Hurling Manager for another three years. His original two-year term ended with an All-Ireland qualifier defeat to Cork. Meanwhile, Liam Cahill is set to make a decision on his future later in the week, having reportedly been approached by Tipperary to replace Liam Sheedy. But he also had talks with Waterford officials about possibly extending his original two-year term with the Dacia. In golf, Leona Maguire has spoken of her pride at being named a wild card for the Solheim Cup. The Cavan native becomes the first ever Irish woman to make the European team and she's hoping that her achievement will inspire others. Growing up there was no Irish women on the Solheim Cup and obviously we had dead lads doing heroic things on the Ryder Cup side and yeah I mean no one's ever done it before and not to say it wasn't possible and that's something ever since I played those junior ones I really really wanted to be on this team and it took a while but, but we got here and hopefully I'll be the first of many Irish players to, to be on Solheim Cup teams in the future. In cross-channel soccer, nine Premier League clubs in first-round action tonight in the League Cup. One all-top-flight clash at Vicarage Road as Watford entertain Crystal Palace. And at the Paralympics, the 16th Paralympic Games getting underway in Tokyo today. Jordan Lee and Brittany Arenzi will carry the Irish flag for the opening ceremony at noon. You're now up to date on the home of Cork's greatest hits, C103. Vaccines are working helping to prevent severe illness. But COVID-19 can still infect people. We need to keep looking out for one another. So keep hands clean, wear a face covering, keep your distance and get a COVID-19 test as soon as you notice any symptoms. From the HSC. For us all. With Audi Cork Sales and Service Bandon Road Roundabout. Discover the entire 212 Audi range, including the future of electric, at audicork.ie. We have a lovely warm, dry and mostly sunny day uh, today. Easterly breezes will be mostly just light with top temperatures. 20 could go to 24, 25 degrees uh, Celsius. Continuing dry and mostly fine tonight. Some mist and fog patches again forming overnight. Temperature lows 9 to 14 degrees Celsius. This is Cork Today. Cork Today. With Patricia Messenger on C103. Cork's greatest
And he can see no reasons Cause there are no reasons What reason do you need to be sure? Boontown Rats along with Bob Geldof on C103 and I don't like Mondays. Now a couple of comments uh, coming in following my interview with John Leach about the Portuguese man of war that has been spotted. It uh, caused a red flag to go up in uh, Garrettstown and there was also a sighting on Saturday of one at Onahincha. Joan is wondering what is the reason that we are seeing these Portuguese man of war in our seas? Well the reason for it is global warming and overfishing are the two main reasons. I mean jellyfish are common place in Irish waters all year round and during the summer months uh, we get to see more but ones like the Portuguese Man of War 
and the what what does he call it the line main jellyfish which is an ex- another extremely dangerous uh, jellyfish traditionally we don't see those in our waters because normally they live in much warmer waters but because of global warming and because of overfishing we're told that that's the two main reasons why they end up in our seas and on our shores and Eddie is wondering has there ever been any research done on this Portuguese man of war as it could be used could it be used or processed for anything something that could be of a financial gain for the country I don't think I've ever seen anything positive anywhere written about the Portuguese man of war except that nobody wants it on their shores so I'm sure Eddie if there was some way of monetising it or making money out of it it would have been discovered at this stage but certainly I haven't I, I, I certainly have never read anything because even looking at it it's kind of a luminous thing I don't know what it could be processed and used for or how you would even process or use it for, for use it uh, for anything because it is, is simply so dangerous and the string the sting excruciatingly painful the pain can last uh, for days and then if God forbid you get some kind of allergic reaction to it you can go into anaphylactic shock and even die and morning Patricia uh, thank you for your call, uh, Eddie. Um, this uh, WhatsApp says, Morning, Patricia. I live in Ona Hincha. I have two dogs, uh, which I take to the beach on a regular basis. As of yesterday, there was no signs up saying Portuguese man of war on the beach. No, it was Cork County Council. Their beach guards say there was a sighting in on Saturday evening in uh, Ona Hincha, but they didn't find any other specimens. It was just the one that had washed up on Ona Hincha, and um, the lifeguards then you know, scoured the beach. They didn't find any other uh, specimens. So therefore, it's only if they see more than one or they see a few of them or they see them out in the water. This one was washed up. It's then they'll actually have to actually close the beach. But they're just alerting people to the fact that there was one found on Saturday uh, evening. And it doesn't, that doesn't mean that there's not the possibility of more washing up. So they're asking the general public to keep an eye out for them. Keep away from them if you do come across one. And don't always assume it's dead because as John was explaining, it can live for many, many hours afterwards and you can still get a very bad sting from it. And if you do spot one, then you're asked to uh, contact uh, Cork County Council and the beach guards and let them get involved. But it was just the one that had washed up on uh, Saturday and hopefully that's uh, it, that there will be no more. 1850 Michael in Butterfield was on to us about the situation in Afghanistan. Michael said he was taken aback with the news that people arrived in Dublin airport yesterday evening from Afghanistan uh, these are refugees while there are still Irish people over in uh, Afghanistan I would have thought he said that the priority would be to get the Irish people out first he said I'm not saying that the refugees shouldn't be brought to this uh, country but it's baffling that the Irish are still left in Afghanistan as far as I know uh, Michael the refugees that arrived uh, last night, they would have come, I'm assuming, from another European country would have got them out because we're not actually doing flights ourselves. We're trying to get our Irish people onto other flights to get them home safely. Uh, so I'm assuming that the first group of Afghan refugees who arrived here would have come through another European country and then when we agreed to take is it 150 in total we've agreed uh, to take it was then decided that that group would go to uh, would come to Ireland the Department of Children said last night that the government have issued more than 200 visas or visa waivers to Afghan nationals over the past week priority has been given to those who are were working on human rights issues including the rights of women and girls and minorities as well as those who are working with NGOs in Afghanistan and those that have been 
been working with the European and international organisations. The approximately 150 people have been granted permission to enter uh, Ireland and uh, I think there were also plans for family reunification. And then on the Irish themselves, that the people who are carrying Irish passports who are still in Afghanistan, of course we got the news that there's an Irish mission has gone to Afghanistan It's a small group of Irish Rangers and two officials from the Department of Foreign Affairs. They are due to arrive in Kabul this evening and that's to help facilitate the evacuation of the remaining Irish uh, citizens. It was um, Simon Coveney was saying the government was making progress in getting the Irish citizens to the airport last week but the situation obviously has become more complex, more tragic uh, since then. So that prompted the decision that we would send our own Irish uh, team. It's been described as a short and targeted deployment to make sure that Irish citizens are prioritised along with other foreign uh, nationals and of course the, the the race is on now where are we at the 24th of August the Americans are pulling out on the 31st of August that is the deadline and, and you know that's and it's the Americans that have control of the airport at the moment and without the Americans there it's looking like it'll be an eye on impossible or it'll be certainly very difficult to get anybody out after that date so you can sense the urgency now to get the evacuate the Irish citizens from Afghanistan and to get them out while the US still have a presence at Kabul airport so that's what's happening at the moment the Irish officials and the Rangers uh, now they're not going to be leaving the airport they, they stay at the airport and also the Irish government have made arrangements with the French government to ensure that those Irish officials and the Rangers are able to leave bar unforeseen circumstances that if any, everything went wrong they could get them on a plane and get them out of here so let's uh, wish them luck and hope that they will be able to get the remaining Irish citizens who are trying to get out of Afghanistan. So far, 10 Irish citizens have left the country. Uh, They were all single people, all travelling alone. The remaining Irish that are left are 24, plus there's 12 non-Irish family members that either have an EU or a UK passport or an Afghan passport that they're trying to get out. But Simon Coveney says, uh, also says there's one Irish person who wants to leave but isn't in Kabul and they're trying to get arrangements to get that person to the airport. So there's a lot of there's a lot of difficulties uh, about it. So we wish that team as they fly to Kabul the best of luck and hopefully we'll be getting good news in the coming days of the Irish over there that uh, we will get them back safe and uh, well. And our thoughts then remain with the people of Afghanistan, particularly the people who are desperate to get out and just can't get out. A shocking, really shocking situations unfolding before the eyes of the world. 1850 333103. Ed is on about scam calls. Hi, Patricia. I'm receiving a lot of phone calls on my mobile. Uh, the phone number is very similar to my own. Yeah, I, I've been talking about this. I don't know, Ed, if you heard me, I mentioned it yesterday. And I certainly was talking about it last week as well. And actually, when I had Sergeant John Kelly on on, Gar- on our Garda file on Thursday, we mentioned scam calls and we actually spoke about this, this new scam that the scammers are using to send the call to you and it comes from a phone number that looks very similar to you and it seems that the scammers now are cloning Irish phone numbers in a bid to make the call seem more trust, trustworthy. In many cases, the numbers used by the scammers are very similar to the number of the person who's been targeted. For example, they will have, there's been multiple reports of people receiving calls from numbers which share the first six numbers of their own phone number. In most cases, 
if you do answer the call, it'll be silence at the other end. What they're hoping is, is that you don't answer the call. But the, the people organising the scam are hoping that you'll call back because it looks like a legitimate number. What happens then when you call back, you get onto a premium service and you'll end up racking up a considerable bill by calling it back. That's how that particular scam works. There's so many different scams out there at the moment. But the display of a normal looking number, you know, you look at the phone number, that's a normal looking Irish, you know, mobile number, whatever. That's called number spoofing. And it's a trick the common have been using for the last decade. It isn't a new one. Uh, But display Displaying a number which is very similar to your own number, that's now called neighbour spoofing. And the reason that scammers do it is that people are more likely to answer a number or call back a number which is similar to their own and it's as it's a familiar number to them. God, how the, the minds of these scam artists uh, work. And I know Vodafone Ireland say they've been very aware of this neighbour neighbour spoofing as it's called where the number looks like it's your own number and actually I was reading on the journal.ie they did a poll by Red Sea for the journal and it showed that half of the people surveyed received a scam call in the previous week coming from an 083 number an 085, 086, 087, 089 number so obviously all of them were cloned Irish phone numbers that were used in this spoofing the number the actual scammer, the call isn't coming from that person's number, but it just looks like uh, it is. But so that was 50% of people said that they were scammed or they got a scam call in the last week. But when they were asked about the previous month, 73% of people said that they had received a call like uh, this. Number spoofing is difficult to police against. However, the advice from all of the experts, including the Gardaí, is never, ever ring the number back because they're back onto that one again of putting you through to a premium service and what will happen is you'll get onto this premium service and it'll be some kind of a recorded message it goes on for ages and ages and of course if you're unaware it's a scam you're staying on waiting for the person to speak to you so you can even message or whatever it is and before you know it you'll end up with a huge phone bill so be aware so as I say the Gardaí very very aware of both number spoofing and now the new one for us neighbour spoofing and when I was looking into this yesterday I've been getting a flood of well last week I was getting a flood of these calls then I got none across the weekend and I was just about to say to John Ball as I came off air yesterday those calls have stopped I didn't have any at the weekend and literally as I was about to say it number rang again and for me the ones I'm getting at the moment are all from Again, it's number spoofing. It looks like they're coming from from call from numbers in the UK. But when I heard about this neighbour spoofing, I decided to just take a look at the calls that I had received across last week. And lo and behold, the majority of them do look like my own phone number. Uh, like my own phone number uh, is 640 and then the rest of the digits. And four of the five phone calls I received on one day last week all started with 640 so it straight away looked like my number and except that all of these numbers had come from they're all coming from an English number so you know it was plus plus four four like I don't know the places in England I haven't even heard of there was even one from uh, Denmark Newton Abbott uh, in England I got one from Leeds I got a flurry of them from Ardrossan in uh, Scotland and there was another from again I don't know where this is Bland Bland Ford Forum 
an English clue. <laughs> anyway, as always, you know, you know my take on it. I just ignore it. I don't answer the calls at all. None of them left uh, voicemails. They're hoping I'll call them back. And if I had called them back, you'd be guaranteed I'd be on to a premium line line number, racking up a considerable phone bill that I really don't want to pay. 1850-333-103. John Paul taking your calls. You can text our WhatsApp to 0862-103-103. C103 Jobs. Part-time kitchen assistant is required for a restaurant slash bakery in Mallow Town Centre. While bar, waiting staff and kitchen porters, they're all required to work in the Bantry Bay. A storeman is required at West Cork 4x4 Breakers there in Lep. And healthcare assistants are required to work in the North Cork area. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Cork today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Fina Fall TD for Cork North Central, Podrick O'Sullivan, is calling for clarity for pregnant teachers who are unvaccinated and are due to return to work. It follows recent advice that it is safe for most pregnant teachers to return to the classroom. Uh, Deputy Podrick O'Sullivan joins me. Good morning to Podrick. Morning Patricia. Now, firstly, we're not, I, I'm assuming that we're not talking about a large number of teachers in this cohort of pregnant unvaccinated teachers, are we? Well, I actually don't know and it's uh, a conversation with the Minister last week Tricia, and uh, she has said that she's going to find out exactly what kind of numbers we're dealing with. And I suppose, like you said, if it is a relatively small number who are, you know, in that early gestation period when it's not recommended that they would take the vaccine, that, um, you know, if it was something that either the Department of Education or schools themselves felt that they could manage um, or divert resources elsewhere or divert staff elsewhere, you know, then, then I suppose a proper assessment could be made or a call on it to see if, you know, pregnant teachers that are unvaccinated could be facilitated. And I know reading in the papers today that the Teachers Union of Ireland representing secondary school teachers, the Irish National Teachers Organisation, the INTO, they're all coming out uh, quite strongly and feel that unvaccinated pregnant teachers should be allowed to continue to work remotely for, you know, a number of weeks until they can get vaccinated. Do you think that's reasonable? Well, I, I do, and that's why I would have made the call myself. And it's not just because I'd be a teacher myself. It's the fact that, you know, these women are pregnant uh, and they're in, as I said, the early gestation period of the fetus. And I suppose if there's any risk in that way, then, you know, it's better to be safe than sorry, in my own opinion. And it's not a question of, you know, throwing substitutes into schools. You know, some people could work from home. If You know, for having worked in a school for 15 years myself, some... Uh, one or two teachers could do take up the homeschool liaison role, or they could put in a you know a less risky environment. They could be doing resource, which might be one to one, you know, in in a room with only one other person. There are other mitigation measures I think there that could be taken, you know, in terms of you know keeping those unvaccinated teachers uh, safer. And what happened last year and during the early stages of the pandemic? Were were pregnant teachers allowed to work from home? Well, I'll be honest with you, what happened in an awful lot of cases and I keep in touch with an awful lot of teachers and, and principals. Um, I suppose a lot of discretion was used by principals and I think that was fair, you know, in that they rejuggled their own staff and they gave uh, mothers, you know, the opportunity to stay away, you know, particularly when the virus was at its, its height. And um, I suppose that's very ad hoc. 
um, and you know it's not ideal, but at the same time, I think that you know particularly if certain mothers had you know problems with their pregnancies or would have a history of problems um, or any other medical issues, then I think you know a lot of principals use their discretion and, and, and a bit of understanding in those cases and, and kind of you know they may do with the resources that they had. Do the principals still have that discretion now? Well, it's been used ad hoc, as I said, um, but having worked in schools myself, like if, if a principal, you know, if somebody signed out sick for whatever reason, um, principals will make do. They can they can use their supervision and substitution uh, roster. And I know it's a bit funny to be talking about it when we haven't even gone back to school, but, you know, they, they do have a bit of wiggle room there that they might be able to juggle people around, if, if particularly those people that might have had problematic pregnancies in the past. I think, as I said earlier, it's better to be safe than sorry in the current environment. But I would hope that the minister would kind of um, revisit the issue. I think, look, fair enough, there's a week to go to school, but that still is adequate time to ensure that either substitution cover could be could be made or to give principals that extra discretion. Um, as I said, teachers can work from home. They can be delegated other roles, and and there is supervision and substitution in schools. You you like in a, in, a, in a medium to large school, you might be talking about one or two pregnant teachers at any moment in time. So the numbers it, I, I, yeah, yeah, but it will be interesting to see the numbers. Surely the numbers are quite low on on the well, unvaccinated. You would think so because yeah. look, the statistics are going around the radio this morning that you know ninety percent of adults have received at least the first dose, and you know about eighty percent are fully vaccinated. So. You would think, you know, from that, you know, significant uptake of the, of the vaccine to date, that we are talking about relatively low numbers. Um, so hopefully the minister will be able to get clarity in the next week or two in regards to how many pregnant women that there are in working in schools at the moment. By the way, are all public service staff who are pregnant asked to return to the workplace? No, and I suppose my own wife's in this situation where you are third baby. Oh, congratulations. Um, yeah, in the first, well, the 9th of September, so... Um, like she's a HSE staff employee and you know she's been pregnant obviously she's coming to the end of, of her term but um, she's been working from home for the last number of months I suppose the HSE have given their staff that protection and I don't see why the Department of Education wouldn't afford um, its teachers the same But I know Minister for Education Norma Foley last week was saying that her department was following public health advice. It included the advice from the Institute of Obstetrics and Gynaecologists in terms of catering for staff who are pregnant. So she's going to say, well, the advice is that it is okay to go into the classroom environment, uh, even if you're unvaccinated. Yeah, and I saw that note as well. um, And and public health advice is saying that schools are safe to return to and I'm not for one second advocating that there should be restrictions on people going back to school. I think that kids should be allowed to go back. Um, you know, they've missed out on an awful lot over the last two years and I think that's the best place for them. Um, but at the same time, we're talking about a very small cohort, very vulnerable cohort at the moment that are unvaccinated and I think, you know, a little bit of discretion there should be used just to protect those, you know, uh, those women in the early stages of their pregnancies. And can I also say on behalf of all pregnant women, they're the group who are also facing the restrictions at maternity hospitals. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming your own wife has been going through that. Yeah, well, look, we have had, uh, you know, a number of restrictions in terms of, you know, access to scans and so on. Um, I, I do, look, this is our third child, and I, I do particularly feel, I suppose, that, you know, people who's first pre- are going on, undergoing their first pregnancy or, you know, who are going to scans where they might not be getting the best of news or there might be fears. I think those people in particular are the ones that I would feel for most. Um, 
And look, pregnancy is, is a fairly daunting situation, I imagine, for any woman, especially if it's their first time. And I, I would have called on numerous occasions for, for the return to normal maternity services. I think it's long overdue. Um, and even last week, there was a friend of mine, she went into CUMH to have twins. And I was texting her, you know, congratulations and whatever, but I was also kind of seeing what the restrictions were like in CUMH on the ground. Um, you know, but they're, they're, but it's good to see that, you know, a certain level of those restrictions have been lifted. And I think good. it's just common sense. That's good. That that really is, is, is good to hear. And with the return of school, I know some of the schools are actually reopening this week and it's kind of, it's always staggered the first week at getting classes in and uh, settled. You sound you're confident about schools reopening. Audric. Well, I, I think that it's the best place for our children. First of all, like we can remember last year and particularly last January, you know, when many children, particularly those with special needs um, and, and, and other, you know, people with that, that missed long stints of school, I can, you know, remember listening to their parents in particular and meeting a number of them. Um, and those people I felt, you know, felt the restrictions most in terms of schools and, lack, and absence from schools. Like I, I would often say that a number of people, you know, in senior cycle, you know, and, you know, third year up would have no problem possibly doing a bit of blended learning or, you know, a bit of online at that time and get through it. But particularly with people with special needs, I felt that they, they suffered most during that time. So I do think that it's welcome to schools return. I think that they're relatively safe insofar as they can be. You know, it is a pandemic at the end of the day and we can, you know, only take so many mitigation measures that we can. Um, but, you know, the virus is fairly, you know, um, low in terms of the damage that it's inflicting on younger people um, and case and studies show that um, but look I, I think it is it's part of the wider reopening you know and I don't want to mention the hurling match that happened yesterday and I guess as you mentioned but you know we are returning to normal so far as we can hospitality is back with, with, with a number of weeks you know we are returning to larger audiences at games and things and hopefully, please God, hospitality you now will will have its you know crunch date in the next week or two. And I know they're working on the guidelines at the moment for for the reopening of you know um, entertainment and things like that. So I, I look, I do believe that it's part of a wider reopening, and I think that schools are part of that, and schools should be back and open. And I'm assuming you saw that assessment of the data from the the HSE that came out this week, you know, showing the numbers of children who tested positive for COVID nineteen was from the first of March of last year to the 10th of July this year was like 4%. I thought actually the figure was going to be higher for those aged under 18. But it clearly showed that school, while there was some outbreaks in schools, it is the safest place to have our children during a pandemic. Um, Well, look, it is a pandemic at the end of the day. Nothing is going to be 100% safe. But look, like at the moment, as I said, my wife is lying in the bed now waiting for her, her baby to, to come. But, you know, we're doing a lot of mundane tasks week to week, whether it's going into shops, cafes, you know, um, and I suppose schools are integral. Um, I wouldn't consider them the mundane activities that we do, you know, the discretionary ones. So I actually, my, my oldest child actually had his first day of preschool yesterday and oh. um, I was impressed with down below in, in the preschool in Gwales called Idrish Gyal and Dunkettle and you know everything there that can be done is being done you know in terms of hand sanitizer, hand sanitizers you know distancing as best as possible uh, look as I said we can take so many steps and nothing's going to be 100% bulletproof at any stage but um, I just think that we you know common sense and, a bit of, and the best mitigation that we can is, is the best recipe for return to normality Okay and the CO2 monitors are starting to arrive at all schools as well I mean there that's another tool in the armoury, isn't it? 
Yeah, to be fair, you know, like uh, there's many criticisms that you have of government and, you know, in terms of education in, in the way that pandemic has, has been handled at certain times, you know, like there's no, nobody going to come on radio and say that everything's been perfect all the time because it hasn't. But at the same time, you know, the Department of Education itself has invested over 800 million in, you know, preventative measures um, and mitigation measures in schools um, and the CO2 monitors now, hopefully, and, you know, things that, you know, monitor air air circulation things. Hopefully they're just the latest tool in, in keeping, you know, those working environments and those, you know, places where kids will congregate as safe as possible. Okay, listen, uh, Padraig, we appreciate you taking time out uh, to talk to us today. I'm, I'm aware of what a busy household you have at the moment and uh, send our best wishes to your wife uh, for a safe delivery uh, next month. And thanks a million for joining us on the programme this morning. Thanks, Patricia. Good morning to you. Uh, bye-bye. That is Fianna Fáil TD uh, for Cork North Central, uh, Padraig uh, O'Sullivan. Uh, and actually, somebody on uh, doesn't have that much sympathy for teachers is Tom, says, Patricia, oh my goodness, don't say the teachers are at it again. Schools are proven uh, to be safe. Well, I think it's just, it's the pregnant ones, the ones who are not vaccinated are a little bit nervous. And, you know, I think as Padraig said, particularly if there'd been maybe a history of failed pregnancies in the past, you know, how nervous some pregnant mums can be and uh, rightly so. And actually just talking of uh, pregnant mums, I don't know how many people have spotted the story that came out of Derry uh, yesterday. Just one of the most heartbreaking stories I think I've heard. We've had so many heartbreaking stories because of COVID but this one really, really touched me uh, yesterday, particularly because the husband of the woman who died, it was a woman by the name of uh, Samantha Willis. She was a young 35-year-old woman, fit, healthy. She got COVID while she was pregnant, 16. She ended up delivering a little baby about two weeks ago and then last Friday, 16 days after the safe delivery, thankfully, of her little baby, Evie Grace. Uh, Samantha passed away in the ICU of Artnagelvin Hospital in uh, Derry with her, her husband and her two older children with her. I mean, just the just the tragedy of this and she was buried yesterday and while the funeral service was going on the little baby was brought to the church and the priest performed a funeral and a baptism all at the same ceremony and Father Joe Clifford who led the service said it was the first time that he'd ever conducted a baptism at the same time of a funeral he said it's rare but it speaks about death and life all interwoven he said it is sadness and joy all at the same time but never brought together as close as uh, this and Samantha's husband uh, Josh he put out a very emotional plea uh, following her death on Friday over the weekend talking about the fact that his wife unfortunately had been unvaccinated and she was a, a care worker so and I don't know whether she she picked up COVID at work or, or not but she leaves behind uh, four children and he was making the point to people please go out and get vaccinated because he was a very fit healthy woman about to give birth to her fourth child succumbed to COVID and then sadly passed away and I just thought it was very brave of him to come out and say you know please get vaccinated I have you know my unvaccinated wife now lying in a coffin um, and and I just thought for those people who are still not believing COVID and how dangerous COVID can be even for somebody like that fit and healthy no underlying health conditions and it can take somebody in the prime of her life leaving behind now a heartbroken husband and and four, four little children without a mother, including a newborn baby that she seemingly never got to hold because she was so unwell when they performed the when the when the baby was delivered. She didn't even get to hold her little baby. May she rest uh, in peace, uh, Samantha Willis.
1850 John Paul takes your calls. You can text or WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Now due to COVID restrictions last year, the annual Christmas shoebox appeal was forced to only operate with an online option. But Team Hope are thrilled to announce that the shoebox appeal is returning as normal this year. With further details I'm joined by Jonathan Douglas who is the Christmas Shoebox Appeal Manager. Good morning to you Jonathan. Good morning Patricia, thanks for having me on. Well you're very welcome. How did the online option by the way go for you last year? Well, it went really well considering the year that we, everyone had, that the world had it was uh, it went so well um, we got just under 45,000 uh, shoeboxes, so that was 45,000 children that got a shoebox that normally, uh, like, like that maybe wouldn't have considering the year we were in. So we're so grateful to the people of Ireland uh, for their support last year. And, and actually, I remember last year we had a number of listeners who were, had already started to gather up their Christmas shoeboxes and they were saying that they'd hold them for this year in the hopes that you'd be back. And yeah. so we're delighted to say that you, that you are um, back because children and families love to fill the boxes themselves, don't they? There's something really special about it. There is, there is no. It's, it's like I do it now with my own children now that they're old enough. It's, it's, such, it's such a joy and thrill, and, and great to be able to teach the kids, teach the children, you know, to be able to, you know, to show care and love to others as well. And like we were able to do the online um, last year, and you could, you could virtually build your box, which was fun. But you no, know, doing the physical one, I. We do, we do get that that's, uh, that is that is a different experience, all right. Yeah, and I've I've watched children inside in shops, particularly some of the discount stores, uh, having chats with their parents about what they're going to put in their box, and and there's something lovely about knowing that they're helping another child in another country who isn't as lucky as they are. Mm, exactly. Yeah. Now, I always do mine during the October midterm break. I kind of have it set as that's the time of the year that, that, that we do ours at home. So I take it at this stage, you're not looking for people to start filling the boxes. It's volunteers, is it, to run local appeals? Uh, yeah, well, it's a little, little bit of both. Like, I think we, we always say uh, you can build your box any time of year. Um, it is great that half-term is the time when a lot of people do it. Uh, we have our new shoebox week, which comes up uh, just after half-term. So that's, that's a great time to, to build your box, all right. Uh, but yeah, we are looking for volunteers, you know, to, to help us in the checking centres as well, um, as well as outside the checking centres. Um, but uh, in Cork, uh, we have, uh, we've got five teams in Cork. We've got Cork City, Gibreen, Fermoy, Charleville and Bandon. Uh, we're currently looking for a coordinator in Cork City. Uh, so if there's any interest, you can please get in touch. But if you just want, if you just like to maybe be a volunteer to check those shoeboxes in the checking centre, make sure they're ready for the children. We'd be delighted to have you involved. Just get in touch with us and we'd be delighted. The checking of the shoe boxes, that's because that's why you ask people not to seal them. Just explain why that's so important. Well, we have to make sure that the shoe boxes are safe and suitable for the children, that there's like there's nothing that could that could harm them, there's no liquid that could damage the box on transport. And you know, just that um that it's 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 a it's a great box, you know, that that uh, when a child opens it that they'll be able to go, Wow, and they'll they'll feel that love and care. And it's it's just making sure that it's it's yeah, it's it's a safe box it's suitable for a child we have to make sure that the items in it are, are, are suitable are safe Yeah because you ask for people who haven't done it before you ask people to identify the age group so you've got to make sure that if you're giving something to a five year old that it's something in the box that's applicable for a five year old not a 14 year old Exactly that's, that's what it's exactly too yeah Okay and, and the same as previous years it's the same items you'll want included is it? 
Yes, so we have what's called the four W's. That's something to write with, uh, something to wear, something to wash, and something to wow. So for writing, it could be uh, a copybook or some coloring pencils. To wash with, it could be, uh, it could be a bar of soap and maybe some uh, toothbrush and a toothpaste. To wear, it could be, um, it could be a hat and some gloves or, or a scarf. And the wow is like an item, like a, like a teddy bear. Kids love the teddy bear. They love the sweet, uh, maybe a little toy. All items that are, you know, that could fit inside a shoebox. And it's, you know, um, uh, good as new. Like, you know, something that you, would, you wouldn't mind even receiving yourself. You know, something that's as good as new and ready for, for a child. And the one that always stands out uh, for me on a no into the box, because you've got to appreciate some of the countries that these shoe boxes will end up in. Some of them could be war-torn uh, countries. Nothing like guns. You know, like a toy gun for a child. It seems great for a kid here in Ireland. Not applicable in some of the countries. Yeah, nothing, nothing like guns. No, nothing with skulls on them, because for, for some children, they're taught that means danger or that means uh, some, yeah, something really harmful. Um yeah, and uh, in some cases, like, uh, for example, in Africa, we don't send chocolate to Africa because they can melt. Uh, we do send the chocolate to uh, uh, Eastern Europe, okay. uh, but uh, sweets are certainly great. Uh, like, if you have, like, you know, those Haribo sweets or those sugary jellies there, they're great. They, yeah. they can go in any box. And they, trans- they transport really well. I always like mm-hmm. at the end, uh, when I've got everything in, I then fill it up with as much sweets as I can, kind of as the packing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's certainly an item that they love to see uh, when they first open. Um, yeah, yeah. So that, that's a great addition. What countries do you distribute to, Jonathan? So uh, we distribute to uh, 14 different countries. Uh, we have them in Eastern Europe and we have them as well in uh, Africa. So we've got, in Africa, we've got Burkina Faso, Burundi, uh, DR Congo, Eswatini, Kenya, Lesotho, Malawi and Rwanda. Maybe some countries that people have never heard of, uh, but, uh, but uh, they're, they're ones we partner with in Africa. And in Eastern Europe, we uh, partner with uh, Kosovo, uh, Transnistria, which is a little part there inside Moldova, uh, Ukraine, Albania, Romania, and Belarus. Well done. Well, well, well done. And schools, do they continue to be the backbone of the appeal, Jonathan? Absolutely. The majority of boxes do come from schools. And so we'd be delighted to, uh, for schools to get back involved this year. If there's ever any concern, you know, about... Um, uh, bringing in boxes or sending out paper, we do have a new digital leaflet. So um, uh, schools can send us uh, can send the digital leaflet to, uh, to families, and they can still make their boxes at home and then bring it into one of the one of the hundreds of drop off points uh, around around the country. And also, we'll be in Corfu. Yeah, and we'll be talking about that a little bit closer uh, to the ta- to the time. And uh, one of our listeners says, uh, "Hi, Patricia. I did the online option uh, last year and found it much easier way to do it. Will there be an online option again this year?" Absolutely, there will. Yes, uh, this is the first year we've got both. Uh, we're very excited. So you can do your box at home. You can build your box at home, or you can build your box online. Thing like last year, we've got that fun build a box feature. So you can pick from those four W's I mentioned and see what you'd like to see in your shoebox. All right, that's that's terrific. Because for some of the adults, probably the online option is a little bit easier. But for the kids, I think it's fantastic to get the children uh, involved. It's it's a brilliant, it's one of those brilliant, brilliant ch- charities. We once again wish you luck with the Jonathan and we'll speak again closer to the time. Uh, but in the meantime, how can people contact you? Uh, they can get in touch through our website, uh, or they can email us at info at teamhope.ie or they can call us, call the office on 01294 Okay. Best of luck to everybody at Team Hope, Jonathan. And thanks for joining us on the programme this morning.
Thank you, Patricia. Thank Good. you very much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That Bye-bye. is uh, Jonathan Douglas, uh, Christmas Shoebox Appeal Manager with Team Hope. Teamhope.ie if you want to uh, check out more. Again, the minute I mention scam calls, the amount of people that are receiving them, it really is phenomenal. And thank you to Liz when I was saying that I got a flurry of calls yesterday from somewhere called Blandfort Forum in England. And I'd never even heard of the place. <laughs> didn't know where it was. Uh, Liz said that's actually in Dorset in South England. Thank you for that, Liz. Well, I don't know anyone in Blandford Forum in Dorset in South England, so I'm glad that I just ignored the call uh, completely. 1850 That's our number. John Paul taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp to 0862 We're going to continue to talk about dog fouling. How do we get at the end of this scourge in the next hour? And also, uh, we'll be speaking with Joe Heffernan and Joe, today we're going to deal with happiness. And God knows we can all do with a bit of happiness at the moment. Court to Today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Hi, Patricia. I'm in Dunmanway. I'm getting calls to my landline up three to four per day. They're the Amazon ones. It sounds like an answering machine. Yeah, it's a recorded message when you get through to it. Just hang up on it immediately. It's just, it can be frustrating with the landline because I think, certainly in my house, we don't get that many calls to the landline. There's only one or two people that would ring me on the landline. So when the landline rings, you think, oh, who's that? If you have caller ID and you can identify who the calls are and don't answer, that might help. But what the Amazon, that Amazon scam, they want you to to uh, interact with them and get on to them but just by answering it you're not doing anything other than they know that the landline is a genuine number and that might keep them they'll keep calling then in the hope that one day they will uh, catch you out but yeah it's frustrating it really is and PJ says is there anything can be done to stop these scam calls it's a disgrace they're robbers they are robbers the ones that are managing to get money from uh, people unfortunately the Gardaí are doing the very best that they can but remember the majority, if not all, of these phone scams that are going on are not Irish criminals. They're criminals abroad. Uh, there, was a, there was a cohort from them in parts of Africa, parts of South America, Eastern Europe. There was another gang identified there in Russia. There was a gang identified there. So that it's not necessarily that's happening based here in Ireland. So it isn't easy for the Gardaí to track them down. But even Sergeant John Kelly, who was talking to us last Thursday and Guard the File about it was saying he's been getting the calls to his phone uh, as well so yeah it's just one of those things will it eventually die out it'll only die out when they stop making money out of it and that's one of the reasons that we we constantly speak about it we constantly alert people to it because we need to stop people getting sucked in by these scam artists because as long as they're making money then these guys and gals will continue. Now if my listener wonders Hi Patricia We are a vaccinated group of friends who go out for meals often and now I'm wondering should we ask the owners and the waitresses of these restaurants where we go for our meals for their COVID certs, like they ask us for ours. Uh, thanking you, uh, Patricia, from a Fomoy uh, listener. Well, you could. <laughs> Let me know how you get on if you do ask. But remember, we have never made vaccines 
mandatory in this country. It's the way it's been from the start. It's worked quite well because what if we've 90% of, pe- of people over the age of 16, I think now have got a first jab, isn't it? Or, or is that 90% over the age of 18? But we don't have a lot of vaccine hesitancy. We do still have some. But we've never made it a rule that you must be vaccinated in order to go to work. And we know there's been huge talk about that with people returning to the workplace, uh, the people who are vaccinated against the people who are not vaccinated. We know that there will be office environments where you will have a high proportion of people vaccinated, but then you'll have one or two who, for their own reasons, have decided not to get uh, vaccinated. But nobody will be, I don't know if there's any business yet, I think some of the Googles and the Facebooks internationally are telling their staff you can only come to work if you're fully vaccinated. But in this country, I don't know how many businesses have actually introduced that. So when you go into a restaurant or into a pub or into a shop, particularly if it's young people, you can assume the vast majority of the younger people are not fully vaccinated yet because they were the last group to be offered the vaccine. Now, many of them have come forward and are getting uh, vaccinated. I mean, at the, at the moment, we have 53% of the 16 to 24-year-olds who are, who are vaccinated. So just over half of the age group that predominantly are the ones that are working as waitresses. So... You could, I, I would imagine in most business premises that you would go into where you have staff under the age of 30 and if it is in, in a restaurant, you could assume from that that half are va- fully vaccinated and half are not or the half are not maybe on the road to getting vaccinated but there will be some as well who are just for their own reasons opting not to get uh, vaccinated. So can you ask? I suppose, I suppose you can. Are they entitled to tell you? Probably no, we'll be told under uh, not health and safety, under GDPR. Nobody can be asked to to say whether they're vaccinated or not. Now, I do remember back at the kind of the start of the staycations back in July, a listener saying, I think I'm open to correction, but I think it was, they were, somebody was visiting somewhere in Galway and they went in somewhere. It was just at the start of the indoor dining and they were very thrilled to see a big notice on the wall saying, just to let our patrons know, all of our staff are fully vaccinated. Now, I certainly haven't come across a sign like that in any restaurant that I've had an indoor meal uh, in. So some businesses are obviously deciding that they want all their staff to be vaccinated and all their staff are eligible to be vaccinated. But no business, I'm assuming, has turned somebody down for work because they're not vaccinated. So so you could ask, you you could, but I don't know what I don't know what kind of an answer you're going to get, but uh, please uh, let us know. And then somebody else is saying, what about antigen testing? Are we ever going to bring in antigen testing into this country? Well, Dr. Uh, Professor Luke O'Neill, the wonderful Luke O'Neill, who's been always one of the, I think, the most positive of all of the experts when it comes to immunology. He always tries to put a positive spin on things. Professor Luke O'Neill, almost since the beginning has been calling for antigen testing and he's once again I saw and yesterday again he's come out saying that it should be a key weapon as we begin to return the country to normality. He says we now must start reopening society as Ireland has vaccinated the majority of its adults and then he says rapid, rapid antigen testing will be the key weapon as part of a successful reopening. Professor O'Neill pointed out that the Delta variant means we must remain uh, cautious But he said we should be moving ahead with the reopening of the uh, country and we know that there is going to be a roadmap uh, published 
next week as to what the next number of months will look like for this country. But back to Professor Luke O'Neill. He says, we need to observe certain things. We'll have to wear masks indoors still. And he said, antigen testing is a key weapon. He said, there'll still be a place, there'll still be a place for it for the foreseeable future. He said, it's unnerving to see people and large crowds of people not wearing masks at the weekend for the All-Ireland Final. But he said he hoped most of those in attendance were fully vaccinated. As he said, Ireland has reached 85% of adults now fully protected or we will reach it this weekend. Once the vulnerable and the elderly, he said, are given the boosters. He then went on to say that the surplus doses, he says, should be given to developing countries. He's one of those that are saying that the fit and the healthy don't need a booster until uh, later on. And that's very much tied in with the World Health Organisation. Dr Mike Ryan last week came out and was almost saying it would be immoral of countries to start giving booster shots to people when we have people in third world countries who haven't even had a first vaccine yet. I thought his analogy about the life jackets was a really good one. Dr Mike Ryan said people who are vaccinated, it's like that they have their life jacket doubly vaccinated. You have two life jackets on so you are reasonably safe even against the Delta variant and he said it's like putting on a third life jacket onto people while you have some people around the world who've got no life jacket on at all. So Dr. Professor Luke O'Neill is very much with the World Health Organisation saying we shouldn't be giving out boosters here except to the vulnerable and the elderly and there is already a lot of call for the vulnerable and the elderly to start getting those uh, booster shots but his point how how unnerved he was about the people at the All-Ireland and it was one of the things I was watching when I was watching the coverage of the All-Ireland particularly you know beforehand the lead into it and they were you know scanning around to the people in the crowd I reckoned there wasn't even 50% at mass and you could see there was groups of people wearing masks but you could also see large groups of people who weren't yet wearing masks and as I say I wasn't at the match myself but for those that were at it I imagine it was it 50-50 had masks and didn't have masks and no Croke Park asked it wasn't mandatory but they were asking people to wear masks Masks, but of course the All-Ireland was really our first big event because there was 40,000 people at it and we will now have to wait what 10 to 14 days to see will there be any spike in Covid cases that we can directly link to the All-Ireland final. If you look to the UK, they had the Euros. Now, I don't know if they had many, as many people fully vaccinated as we've had in this country at the time of the All-Ireland, but they certainly saw a spike in cases that they directly attributed to the Euro final and that big event in Wembley. And I was also reading of Boardmasters, that's a big festival that's held in Cornwall uh, every year. They didn't hold it last year. No, they did. They held it this year. It's a five day music uh, festival. And um, I got John Paul to check the numbers that were at it. He said up to 50,000 people were there on any one day. And the UK are now saying that 4,700 Covid cases are being linked to that five-day music festival in uh, Boardmasters, bearing in mind that those attending had to show their COVID status or they had to get the antigen testing done and there was lateral flow testing going on. But there were still a number of cases linked to that particular festival. Now, I'm not saying that's what's going to happen here with the All-Ireland final, but interesting that Professor Luke O'Neill also was rather unnerved to see so many people not wearing masks at the event on Sunday. And we are, and he is talking about the 
roadmap to reopen the country and that's very much the focus of the government this week and I read in the papers today that a relaxation of the two metre social distancing rule for vaccinated workers to allow a viable return to the office seems to be on the cards as part of the reopening plan next week. Now despite this continued rise in COVID-19 cases due to the Delta wave several government sources are saying that a winter lockdown is the furthest thing from the minds of ministers and all of us will take comfort in that because nobody wants us going into another lockdown. A move away from restrictions, modelling to a series of guidelines with the onus on personal responsibility. That seemingly is going to be one of the central pillars of the plan. So we'll be told you don't have to do this but it is suggested that you might do it. So it'll be personal responsibility. Part of the reopening map, which will lay out specific timelines as to when the remaining restrictions can be eased or whether we'll get rid of them completely. Current emergency measures and powers are all to when they'll all cease and also the guidelines on mask wearing. Now, it does look like the guidelines on mask wearing, that that is going to remain in place. It looks like the priority, obviously, is the return of the 1.5 million school children, the teachers and the college students students and the campus staff and getting them back in the coming weeks. That is going to be the priority. And just on that, particularly on third level, going back into on campus for third level students, Julie in Charleville has been on to us because two of her sons are returning to MTU, the former CIT in September, and they have emailed the college with regard to lectures. And they're getting nothing back from the college. They just get this automated response saying check with our website for updates and obviously Julie and her sons are checking every day for updates on the website and the reason that she's contacting them and checking the website for updates is Julie needs to find out will her two sons require accommodation this year and you know we're at the tail end of August usually at this time of the year accommodation on a normal year is well sorted out for young people heading off to college so she doesn't know do they book accommodation Will all of their lectures be online? Will part of our lectures be online? How much of the week will be spent in college? So will it warrant having to have her sons living up in Cork City uh, or not? Uh, she, her, one son is going into second year and one son is going into a third year. So the, the second, the, the student going into second year, I'd say, wasn't even, in, wasn't even on campus last year at all. Anyway, and we're checking in. John Paul says he's checking in with MTU as well just to get an update. But she's wondering, are others, are, I'm assuming, Julie, you're not on your own. Anybody else who has a son or daughter who is planning on going to college in September, end of September, beginning of October, all are in that's a real catch-22 situation to be in because what will happen then is if they do decide to have everybody back on campus, there's going to be a massive rush for accommodation and there'll be a huge, huge panic. But it does seem that the priority is to get the college students and the campus staff back on campus. But let's uh, wait and see what happens. That's the priority at at the moment. Uh, They're also looking at this early return to the Office for Workers and there is that talk of changes to the social distancing requirement but only for vaccinated staff members. They're going to prioritise indoor sports The entertainment sector will be delighted to hear live music events uh, in the early stages. They're saying gigs back well in advance of Christmas. But again, that's not going to please the entertainment uh, sector. They need firm dates. Not to be told it'll be well. What's well in advance of Christmas? Is that October? Is that November? Is that two weeks before Christmas? And then there will be the phased eradication of the COVID-19 wage and business supports by the spring. Um, That would be a worry for business owners, obviously. Now, the National Public Health Emergency Team, NEFET, they meet tomorrow 
they finalise their recommendations, they send it on to the ministers and then they'll meet, the COVID committee will meet and then I'm assuming the cabinet will meet and then there will be a final uh, sign off on it and we'll get to hear about it at the end. Next Tuesday is the full cabinet meeting and I'm assuming shortly after that then we can expect to hear Micheál Martin give his address and stand out before government buildings. Oh it's going to be next, okay so the cabinet meeting is next Tuesday so it's going to be next Tuesday that Micheál Martin will address the nation and it will be his 16th national address from government buildings and that's planned for some time on Tuesday usually they usually try and tie it in don't they for the 6 o'clock uh, news 1850-333-103 John Paul taking your calls you can text or WhatsApp to 0862-103-103 The C103 Cork Diary With the new Explore Cork app a Cork County Council initiative the perfect way to plan your staycation in Cork Adam Collins and Alan Kremen are taking on the challenge of seven peaks in a week. They'll be starting it on September 11th and they're doing it for the West Cork Rapid Response and Pieta. If you'd like to donate, they ask you please to go to their GoFundMe page or you can follow them on social media and their social media is seven peaks in a week. Good luck to Adam and to Alan. In Ascara Community Centre, looking for your help to keep the centre open. They are asking people to please donate to cover the running costs through either their GoFundMe page in Ascara.org or you can drop your donation into the office letterbox. Details of their bank account are also available on our website c103.ie. And Focus Ireland are organising a Karen Tuhill hike planned for next Sunday. It's a chance to raise funds for Focus Ireland and also challenge yourself and hike to the highest peak in Ireland. You can register at events at focusireland.ie Court today on C103 With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale now part of McCarthy Insurance Group They don't just talk the talk they walk the walk cmig.ie This is the Court Today replay on C103 and just on the scam call, somebody says, uh, Patricia, if you say hello when you answer the phone, not realising it's a, sp- a scam call to your landline, uh, will you be charged uh, for that? No, the Amazon call is an automated message. They want you to press one to engage with them and then you could get on to uh, a real person who look for bank details. So no, it's not going to cost you anything just to answer, but try not to answer if you can. On the teachers and the unvaccinated pregnant teachers. Hi, Patricia, I am a teacher. I think it's a disgrace that the Department of Education would put vulnerable unvaccinated teachers teachers at risk. I'm done having children myself but I feel teachers in that position have been treated very, very unfairly. Some secondary schools are returning tomorrow and it really isn't good enough that these teachers have been left hanging. The case up the north that you spoke about of that young 35 year old woman uh, who, uh, who got COVID while pregnant and died needs to be highlighted more so that people understand the risk that pregnant teachers are facing and that's from a uh, teacher to 08621 Now we started the programme this morning by talking about dog fouling and talking about a trial to spray paint canine poop in Galway City and how it has been really, really successful and they've seen a decrease of 55%. Well, that's prompted Hendrik Verway of Cove Tidy Towns to contact us about the strategy that they're using in Cove. Good afternoon to you, Hendrik. Good afternoon, Patricia. You're very welcome. Now, like all other towns, you've also had, have, have had an issue with dog fouling. Yeah, I suppose I'm inside the towns quite a while. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's been a perennial problem. But I think, you know, it's a hell of a lot better than it used to be. Um, 
you know, you still get instances in Cove, but, you know, considering what it used to be like, it's a thousand times better, in my opinion. And I suppose it's been a long, a long journey, I suppose, to get there. Um, and I suppose we did use stencils maybe about 10 years ago, um, but we didn't stick with them long because I suppose they need to be renewed. You know, they look they look very fresh when they go on. And then I suppose within a couple of weeks, you know, they, they, they're expecting to get worn and they need to be refreshed. So it's not something we stuck with in Cove, but um, we have other strategies as well. Okay, but your most successful strategy, you reckon, is the distributing of the the dog waste bags? Yeah, and that's a collaboration between Cove Tidy Towns and um, Cork County Council. Um, I suppose when we started, we put up four dispensers for bags, and the council supplied us with bags, and a dispenser will probably hold in the region of 500 bags. Um, now we have 14 dispensers around the town. And one of our volunteers goes around every Saturday morning and fills them up. And incredibly, he puts 3,500 bags into those dispensers every week. <sighs> so they're being used? They're being used. And I suppose, you know, if they weren't there, I know people would bring their own bags. A yeah. lot of people would and a lot of people are responsible. But you you have a potential 3,500 heaps of dog poop all over the town, you know. Yeah, it's, yeah. You know. And so then the, the, the disposing of the bags... Hendrick. Yeah, well, that's another, I suppose, positive for Coven that the council um, supplied the bins and supplied the dispensers, supplied the bags, and they emptied the bins. We filled the dispensers and the council come along once a week and empty the bins. So, yeah, because I know some towns reckon they don't have enough of those, the bins, to put the dog poop into. Have you enough? Yeah, um, I think we're, we're okay, you know. I suppose the message that we put out there you know, a dog dog waste can go into any litter bin in the town. So, yeah, and a lot of people didn't get that not that message at the start. But I think a lot more people would understand that now. You know that it, it can go into any bin if there's a bin nearby. And if there's not, please bring it home. You know, we we still have instances of people chucking it over a wall or whatever. So, you know, we're we're not unique, but I think we're doing we're doing reasonably well. You know. Yeah, you're you're, you're certainly having success uh, with it, and thank God for that. It's very good of that volunteer to go out every Saturday morning and fill up. The receptacles. Yeah. yeah, he's one of our longest-serving volunteers. Oh, wow. he's, he's retired quite a number of years, and um, I suppose retired is the wrong word because our, our, our man, Jim O'Rourke, and anyone listening from Cove will know the name straight away. He used to have a restaurant, and then he, he sold it up uh, maybe 20 years ago, uh, but he certainly didn't throw the feet up on top of the coffee table and see all day long. Well, Jim is probably busier now than he ever was when he had the restaurant. Absolutely. <laughs> um, you see him out at um, any hour of the day or night. Uh, it could be seven days a week. You know, obviously Brilliant. he makes his own time, but uh, he likes to keep busy and, and he's made an enormous contribution to what we do in Cove Tidy Towns. So, where, where would we be, Hendrick, without our Tidy Towns volunteers? I mean, that's that, the story about Jim is replicated in towns the length and breadth of this uh, country. If we didn't have those volunteers, God, what a messy country we'd live in. Yeah, and I suppose you could spread that out and, you know, Tidy Towns do wonderful jobs, but you could spread it out to the J and the hurling clubs and the football clubs and the rowing clubs and any sort of club and you know it's all it's all volunteer led um, huge amount of you know commitment from people um, you, know, you know you know the kind of adage if, if you want something done ask a busy person and they'll, they'll step up and do it for you you know and that, that seems to be the case in lots of clubs and organisations right around the country um, I think if you added up the number of hours around the country and and it will be absolutely staggering, you know, and I think you're getting, you know, the, the county councils and that give grants to council or to tidy towns groups and, and other groups 
but they're certainly getting value for money out of that little contribution because it's multiplied many, many times over yeah. um, by the amount of work that people do. And of course, I've spoken with you on many occasions in the past from uh, a tourism uh, point of view. Are you seeing a lot of tourists around uh, Cove? Yes, yes, Cove has been busy. Um, I suppose what's notable this year is a kind of a lack of international tourists when you compare it to last year. Um, you know, last year there was a lot more flights coming into Ireland, a lot more flights coming into Cork. And you, you would have heard the accents around. So this year, it's, it's certainly more um, staycation busy. Um, Spike Island is doing very well. Titanic Experience, both Heritage Centre. All busy. And I suppose if you want waterside dining at its finest, well, then you need to come to Cove. There's before brilliant restaurants right on the water, right on Cork Harbour. Um, so even the gourmet capital of Cork doesn't even have that. So. <laughs> <laughs> You're selling as well. And you've got fine weather for this week as well. Absolutely, I suppose go for the bang, kids back to school next uh, week, so I suppose now make the most of it. The last, the last week, get out and enjoy it. All right, listen, Absolutely. Hendrik, thank you for that and thanks for contacting the programme. Thank you. Uh, good afternoon to you. Hendrik Verway there from Cove, Tidy Towns. Actually, just staying in uh, Cove. This is John in Cove has contacted us and this was to do uh, with the lady who messaged us to say that she goes out with a group from Oilister. We vaccinate a group of friends. We go out for meals often and I'm wondering, should we ask the owners and the waitresses in the restaurants if they have vaccine certs or not? You know, they're asking us, can we ask, are they vaccinated? John in Cove says, people seem to be very concerned about going out for a meal these days and they now seem to be more worried about those serving them and whether they're vaccinated or not. If you're that worried, I suggest stay at home. You might choke on something. You could end up choking on something with the worry of who's serving you and what's going on around you. Just go out and enjoy your meal. And Irene said she was very taken aback at the person who messaged wanting to find out could you ask the owners and the staff in restaurants whether they were vaccinated or not. Now I Irene is speaking from experience. Where Irene works, she said the majority are vaccinated. And she said the others are all either on their way to being vaccinated, waiting on a second jab or waiting to get the nod to say they're fully vaccinated. However, she said outside of this, she finds that some people, not all, but a minority have an issue with being asked for their COVID certificate. And she said it's got nothing whatever to do with uh, COVID. It seems like it's a power issue. It's like we shouldn't be asking them if they have a COVID certificate or not. And she said, inevitably, you'll get some. Now, she said, it is the, the minority. You'll get somebody said, now, you vaccinated. She said, by the way, said Irene, I've no problem telling them, yes, I am vaccinated. But when you're coming out for a meal, we don't make up the rules and regulations. This is a requirement by law that we must ask you if you have your COVID certificate. It's almost like they go on a power trip. Uh, it, people can be very, very strange indeed. Uh, as for that lady who was texting in uh, with that kind of an attitude, I wouldn't like her in my friend circle. Oh, oh okay. Uh, 1850 at 333103. Uh, John Paul taking your course and just one final one on the dog barking that we did earlier on in the programme this morning. The North Cork uh, listener who has got the issue with what they describe as antisocial neighbours and this non-stop barking of uh, dogs. There is, and I was saying where the dogs on their own during the day, the listener says, no, there's somebody with those dogs all the time. They don't tell the dogs to stop. Instead, it's as if they're praising the dogs. We are here now with all our windows and doors closed on a gorgeous warm day like uh, today and we can't open them because of this non-stop 
barking. I do not know why the council will not do anything about it. It's just simply unfair. It's noise pollution at the end of the day and it should be dealt with by the council. It is a council estate after all. We were woken at 5.30 and it's always this morning and it's between 5.30 and 6am every morning and I guarantee you those dogs will be barking until 11 uh, half 11 or midnight tonight it is simply unfair 1850 going to take a break we're back chatting with Joe Heffernan and today's topic for discussion is happiness Court Today on C103 with Sean Cusack Normally being a little extra can be a bit much but when it comes to healthcare it pays to be extra and United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. Joe Heffernan uh, joining me on this beautiful sunny Tuesday afternoon. Good afternoon to you, Joe. Good afternoon, Patricia. And it's timely because today we're going to be talking about happiness and I'm kind of looking out the window at a nearly blue sky and thinking, God, it's beautiful out there. Why wouldn't we be happy? But happiness is in, is a bit in short supply at the moment, isn't it? And yes. has been, I think, because of the pandemic. Uh, absolutely. I think we're all a little bit, um, you're just a little bit anxious, a little bit uh, down. Do you know, um, it would be very strange if we weren't. I mean, life has been turned a little, well, quite a bit upside down. And, um, yeah, so these people, um, uh, one of them, Christopher Peterson, in the University of Michigan, USA, and um, the positive psychology guy there, Martin Seligman, University of Pennsylvania, they, they, they did research on the science of happiness, and they came up with a kind of recipe for happiness, if you like, Um Uh, or at least, anyway, some tips which may be relevant to our happiness. Uh, One of being, yeah, today, whatever about the the professors and the universities, we've only to look out the window and we get a bit of a lift today, as you said, with a bit of good weather. Yeah, and it's just, it's to try to look for happiness in in things. But talk to me, I'm interested in this, in the science of uh, happiness and their recipe uh, for happiness. I mean, what, what did they come up with? 
Well, what they came up with um, were, um, uh, you know, uh, nothing spectacular, but uh, the things that usually work in life, to kind of keep it simple, um, staying in touch as much as possible and maintaining as much good relationships as possible with family and friends. Yeah, you Um, see, I think that waned during the pandemic. Yeah. Because we were all kept apart from people. And I know even talking, there was periods of time during lockdown where... Where I know people, I even found it myself found it difficult to even pick up the phone and talk to somebody. Yeah, so we lost people, contact. We did, we did, and um, uh, that didn't help. Even though that we just uh, whether it was didn't feel like it, didn't feel up to it, or what, but that we need to maybe make a, a conscious effort to um, and a practical effort like pick up the phone send a text or whatever um, uh, yeah, to stay in touch yeah. with family and friends. And, and now that more and more of us are vaccinated and the majority of people are getting vaccinated, start arranging to meet people. I mean abide by all the you know, if you're still nervous, do it outside but start reconnecting with people. Yeah, we had a meal now the other day in um, on Princess Street in Cork and um you know, it was lovely. Um, uh, we met up with uh, one of our sons, um, sat down, uh, you know. That was uh, what, my God, I mean, it's strange to be talking about that as kind of a big thing. But it was a big thing. Mm. Um, and we enjoyed it very much. Yeah, and, and you uh, came away, no doubt, feeling really happy about it. Totally, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, the, the other yeah. one they say about don't worry about keeping up with the Joneses. Now, this is something that a lot of people can learn a lesson from. Yeah, the only thing we've to concentrate on keeping up with the Joneses these times are if the Joneses are practicing safe uh, living, mm. um, you know, with the uh, the HSE guidelines. But in the in the more superficial things, if you like, I mean, you know, uh, if the Joneses have just painted the house, we don't necessarily have to, whoops, paint the house. Um, if the Joneses bought a new car, we don't have to dash off and keep up with the Joneses. Um, or in any way like that. Um, in any way like that. Uh, you know, uh, really and truly, um, the only people that we have to keep up with are ourselves and our loved ones, and uh, like we said there uh, previously, to stay in touch with them. Family we had friends. a bit of a fright the other day now, because um, Hurricane Grace um, did a bit of a job on Ken and Kayleigh's uh, premises house in K- Grand Cayman. Your, your son and daughter-in-law, are they, are they okay? They're all fine, thank God. Um, trees came down, pots and things around the garden were wrecked um, uh, but no structural damage and um, uh, you know and the big thing as you say no one hurt thank God okay daily activities and trying to get involved in something that almost time flies by yeah we often mentioned um, uh, previously the word flow now Flow in the psychology world would mean being totally, absolutely, 100% engrossed in some activity. Now, 
it doesn't have to be um, uh, world-changing activity. It can be gardening. In my case, it would be reading a novel. I can get completely immersed in it, and that's great. It's an old break um, uh, away from the daily grind. Um, uh, it can be doing a bit of uh, baking. I, I was hearing so much uh, during the pandemic. What, what was the big word? Was it banana bread? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. That, yeah, be, that well, became a big one. I have um, a, a sister of mine. I was during the pandemic. Uh, she's very arty and you know likes arts and crafts, but she's never really been good at painting. But she took up paint by numbers, and right. she said she gets lost in it. And yeah. the hours and some of the paintings are just uh, stunning. Not just paint by numbers, but you don't see that once it's all painted. But yeah. she said she just gets lost in it, and she she found that really good, particularly during some of the longer lockdowns when you couldn't go out. Well, that is now precisely and exactly a 100% example of what we're talking about there with Flo, that she would get completely immersed um, in what she is doing. Yeah. And, um, it could be any kind well, of a hobby. Is, or as exactly, you say. Or, exactly. Alice Taylor, when you mentioned gardening, and how many times I've spoken with Alice Taylor, who's got a beautiful garden, now in yeah. fairness to her, she, but she put so much work into it. But she said she just gets lost. She goes out to do something that take me 10 minutes. And she said, two hours, suddenly you're gone. And she goes, oh, I've been here for two hours, which is... Which yeah. Which is, which is yeah, brilliant to be yeah. that passionate about something. Now, yeah, forget- and I'd just like to take the opportunity of wishing this, that same lady well. Alice, yeah, yeah she's great. Yeah. She's, she's wonderful. Forgiveness, that's, that's one that helps well, with happiness. Um, you know, we can nurse resentments. Um, that person did me wrong. That person uh, uh, said this or didn't say that. And it's, it's not good for us. Um, uh, one of my favourite sayings that you have heard so often would be the resentment is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. From the first um, time you mentioned that on the programme, I think I've been I've quoted that over the years. I think it's such a powerful statement, but such a true statement. Yes. Yeah, because the more we nurse that kind of um, uh, sourness, if you like, uh, in our in our in our hearts, um, it's ruining our day, mm. and um, it's just not a good idea. So the forgiving, like, would be for ourselves. Uh, it's not condoning what someone else did. Maybe someone else did a very, a, a very real injury to us, or um, uh, you know, was um, really, really wrong. But the thing is that the forgiveness, as such, is just the. Um, the letting go of that being constantly in the head, in the morning when we rise, in the middle of the day, before we go to bed at night, if we're, if that person or that um, uh, words or action is constantly in our heads, we're not at peace. We're we're very far from being at peace. So we we need for ourselves to let go and. Um, and and if that's called forgiveness, well, that's the word for it. And in fairness, it's not the easiest thing to do if you really have been wronged by somebody, but you have it, to somehow develop the skills to let it go. Yeah, yeah. Um, a lot of people, a, a lot of people, I remember having a resentment um, many, many, many years ago and... Um, Somebody said to me, um, at the end of the day, I was um, I was fairly desperate to kind of deal with this. 
and the person said to me to pray for the person, and uh, <laughs> I didn't feel one little bit like praying for the person. I did not. But I was kind of desperate. My days were being ruined. So I did. I prayed for the person. And eventually I actually meant it. Because <laughs> well when I started, it was just words. Yeah, but I, 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 and you're right about letting it consume you. And that's why that statement about resentments are like drinking poison. You drinking the poison and expecting the other person to die. While you're living with this going through your mind, first thing in the morning, middle of the day, last thing at night, the person who has wronged you probably isn't even thinking about you. Absolutely. So we, they're, they're the almost, doubt. they've wronged you twice because you've, whatever the wrong was, and you're continuing to let them wrong you. Exactly. You're kind of joining in. Um, you know, uh, somebody said once, if the knives are out, don't sharpen them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I do think, and I do think it stops you on that road to happiness and on that road uh, to uh, peace. Uh, okay. I can see there's a lot more we want to talk about and I don't want to rush through it because I think there's a lot in it that's mm. worth talking about. Mm. We might mm. split it and leave the second half of it for next week, picking up with gratitude from next week. Are you, okay. happy, to do, are you happy to do that? You are. Yeah. Okay, and listen, are you going out in the sunshine? Did you get out for a walk? Oh, I will definitely be out and um, I expect um, and have arranged to hit the small white ball tomorrow. Oh, oh, have you done that in a while? Oh, yeah. Oh, you have, yeah. all right. The odd okay. Wednesday. Yeah, okay, well, that's, yeah. yeah, that's something. And it's just like that, this is in, tied in with the happiness. We have this lovely weather, it's with us for another few days anyway, we're guaranteed it. And yeah. just, just get out, get sun on your bones. You know, feel the heat on your back and just it'll lift your spirits. It really will. Lift. And I know sometimes the idea of going out for a walk, oh God, I couldn't be bothered. But you'll feel so good afterwards. And that, you do. That you'll all, feel better when you get back. Yeah. It tops up the happiness. Listen, have a great week and we'll talk to you more about happiness. And the same. More about happiness next Tuesday. Thanks, okay. Joe. That's okay. uh, Joe Heffernan, who runs counselling practice in Bohopwe. His number is 086-834-8145. And just I have about a minute left before I go. Mary was on uh, to say she ha- has been vaccinated, but she got the AstraZeneca vaccine. She said she feels that the Pfizer is more effective and she feels that the booster, sh- booster shots should be uh, Pfizer. Can I just tell you that they've stopped ordering AstraZeneca into this country and that all of the booster shots will be uh, with Pfizer. That's the only vaccine that's going to be eventually available in this country. So if you're going for a booster, it will be uh, Pfizer, even though the AstraZeneca against Delta, they've shown that the Pfizer wanes quicker than the AstraZeneca does. So don't knock the AstraZeneca. There was absolutely nothing wrong uh, with that vaccine at all. But when you go for your booster, it will be a Pfizer. She also doesn't agree with this, allowing people their own choice and being told what to do do. She feels with the mask wearing, we need to stick with that religiously and that she needs to stay in place. Okay, that's where I leave you for today. Thanks to John Paul for producing. Nick's with you for the uh, afternoon back at 10. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. 
Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at UH1.com. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., 